of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we're looking in the book of St. Luke chapter number 16. The book of St. Luke chapter number 16. We're going to begin reading with verse number 19 this morning. The book of St. Luke chapter 16 began reading with verse 19. The Bible says there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I'm using for my subject today, eternity somewhere. Father, I just pray today, Father, that those that are here today that need to make a decision about their eternal destiny, God, as you have gripped my heart concerning eternity all week long, I know, not because I know in my mind, but because I know in my heart and I know in my spirit that there are people here today that need to make the decision about eternity. And I just pray, Lord, that you will enable and empower me through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will do your work in the heart of the people today, that you will woo people to Christ. You will convict people of sin today. The altars will be full of people getting ready for eternity. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives us just a little glimpse into eternity. 
Now, whether this is a parable or just a story or illustration that Jesus told, or whether this is an actual account of the lives of two men who lived and died, is not totally clear. The fact of the matter is, it really doesn't matter. Either way, this is a glimpse, just a glimpse into eternity. A picture of what is waiting on the other side of death for both the saint and the sinner. You see, every person who has ever been born will spend eternity somewhere. Every single one of us that are in this room today, all of us one day will die. And the moment that we die, the very moment that our eyes close in death, the very next moment our eyes will open in eternity. Every single one of us in this room today will spend eternity somewhere. As I look at the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16, there there are five things that just jump out at me. And I want to call your attention to those five things. The first thing that I see in in this story or this passage is I see the reaping. And the reaping is found in verses 19 through 23 that we just read. The seeds we sow in life, and by the way, it's back of your bulletin is a sermon outline. You can fill in the blank, and this is a part of that sermon outline. The seeds that we sow in life will determine the harvest we reap in eternity. I want to say that again because I want you to get that this morning. The seeds that we sow in this life will determine the harvest that we're going to reap in eternity. I'm persuaded that if we, if we only knew what eternity was really like, that, that, that it would no doubt shape the life that we are living on earth. The seeds we sow on earth determine two things. First of all, they determine where we spend eternity. Where we spend eternity. I don't know, but perhaps the greatest sin of this rich man in this story was the sin of selfishness. It seems that that he took very good care of himself and yet totally overlooked the needs of all those around him. He wore designer clothes. He ate from his personal buffet every single day. All the while, Lazarus lay at his gate, the gate of the rich man. Lazarus lay in rags begging for just some crumbs, just leftovers from the rich man's table. Now, I want to be perfectly clear this morning. The the rich man's sin was not in being rich. but in turning his eyes away from those in need. Those that that, that he could have helped out of his abundance. You see, the question that I constantly, 
And I'm telling you the truth. It's not just a sermon this morning. I'm telling you that the question that I constantly ask myself is, how can I in good conscience stand before God on judgment day and try to justify spending all of my resources on myself? This is why I give an extra tithe to missions. It's why I give yet another tithe to furnish the grace place. You see, you and I that have been blessed with so much, we have not been blessed with so much so that we can be clothed in fine linen and fare sumptuously every day like the rich man did in the story. When there are Lazaruses all around us laying at our gate. Over half of the world survives on one dollar a day. And yet we literally get ticked off at the preacher. Another missions convention? Another missions offering? How can we justify on judgment day when we stand before God? How can we justify spending all of our resources on us? You may not like it, but you won't blame me in eternity. The seeds we sow on earth will determine the harvest we reap in eternity. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. If you want some Bible for it, i got some good ones. Amen? Whatever. Say whatever. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. What are you going to reap? You're going to reap the whatever. The whatever you sowed. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh, what is going to happen when you sow to the flesh? Paul says, he will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Not only will the seeds we sow determine where we spend eternity, but also will determine what awaits us there. You see, all saints go to heaven. And all sinners go to hell. But what most people don't understand, or at least the way they live their life, how in the world could they understand? Heaven and hell, although all saints go to heaven, all sinners go to hell, but heaven and hell are not a one-size-fits-all kind of place. Don't have time. I've talked about it in the past. I don't have time today to go into detail uh, this morning. But the Bible teaches that there will be degrees of reward in heaven. And there will be degrees of punishment in hell. Let me just give you some scriptures in there. In your notes this morning, Matthew 23 and 14, Luke chapter 12, verse 47, 48, Luke 20, 47, Matthew 16, 27, Revelation 22 and 12. 
Now, I understand this morning that grace and grace alone gets us to heaven. No amount of good works will get you to heaven or keep you out of hell. Grace and grace alone gets us into heaven. But the degree of reward that we receive and the level of authority that we will have there will be determined by the works that we do here, which are the seeds we sow. Likewise, the rejection of grace and this rejection alone puts people in hell. Sin doesn't put people in hell. The rejection of what Jesus did on the cross, the rejection of God's grace puts people in hell. But the degree of their punishment will be determined by the evil deeds or the evil seeds that that person individually has sown. Hitler will experience a hotter hell and a greater amount of torments than the person that simply refused to trust Christ as their Savior. The thief on the cross who got saved by the skin of his teeth, who got saved by the very last breath that he breathed, will not have the same reward in heaven, amen, that a saint of God will that has given their whole life to Christ. 1st thing I see in the story is the reaping. Second thing that I see here is the requests. Jesus said that the rich man died, and the Bible says that immediately he woke up in hell. Verse 23 says that he was in torments, plural, torments in, in hell. You need to know that hell is a place of Torments, plural. We've talked about this before, so I'll just hit it and go on this morning. But there will be the physical torment of hell. Hell is a literal place with literal fire. Where people will literally be on fire, but unable to burn up. Don't like it, don't understand it, don't get any joy of preaching it, but it's the truth. Physical torment. Not only physical torment, there will be mental torment. It's one thing to be on fire. It's another thing to be on fire for a million years and know you're no closer getting out than the day you got in. I cannot fathom or understand the mental torment of hell. And then perhaps the greatest torment of all of hell is spiritual torment. The Bible says eternal separation from God. We think this is a wicked world we live in. Take all the saints, take all of the Christians out of it. Let there be nothing to hold and hinder and hold back evil and see what. Can you imagine the evil, wicked, vile, ungodliness that will be in hell? Spiritual torment, eternal separation from God. Talking about the request now, two requests that I see here. First of all, uh, there's the request for mercy. The rich man in hell requests mercy. Verse 24, he cried, have mercy on me. May I say that people who mock, 
People who mock and make fun and ridicule uh, you and I who cry out to God for mercy in this life, they will be the very same ones that will scream the loudest for mercy in hell. I ask you, where was his mercy for Lazarus? Who was laid at his gate every single day. I don't know, but perhaps he had to step over him every time that he left his property. Where was his mercy for Lazarus? Second request was for relief. Verse 24, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am tormented in this flame. Oh, hell was so hot for this man that even one single drop of water on his tongue oh, sounded so good, so refreshing. And I think it interesting who he requests to bring him this drop of water. Lazarus, Lazarus, the very one that that he ignored on earth. Oh, he could have provided Lazarus every single thing that he ever needed and it would not have affected his net worth at all. See, people criticize Pastor Benson because he takes too many offerings. He talks too much about money. But I look around and I see people are still wearing the same clothes they always have. They're driving the same cars they were driving, living in the same homes they were living in. I haven't affected your net worth at all. Maybe I've helped your net worth. Now the rose... Roles have been reversed. Now it is Lazarus who fares sumptuously every day. And it is the rich man who is in turmoil and suffering. I don't know, but as I was reading this again and again this week, I I thought, well, perhaps that's why the rich man asked for Lazarus, because he knew Lazarus would know what it was like to suffer. And maybe he thought perhaps Lazarus' knowledge of suffering would cause him to pity somebody else who was suffering. Oh, but the rich man's request was denied. No doubt hell will be filled with requests. But all requests in hell will fall on deaf ears. All requests in hell will be denied. Yet one more reason. Well, I don't plan on being there. Notice the third thing that I see in this story. And by the way, if you're a visitor or a guest today, I don't preach on hell every Sunday. This isn't a typical Pastor Benson sermon. I'm not afraid of it. Uh, I don't back up from it as many pastors do today, but we don't preach on this all the time. Only when God lays it on our heart. But God specifically put this on my heart this week for somebody. The third thing I see in this story is the reminder. Abraham reminded the rich man of how things were in his life on earth. That tells me that those who go to hell will go there with their memory intact. They will remember everything. They will remember every opportunity that they were given to be saved when they said, no, not now. 
or religion is just for women and old people. They will remember every sermon they ever heard. They will remember every altar call they ever rejected. They will remember how the Holy Spirit convicted them and how the Holy Spirit tried to draw their heart toward God. And they will remember how they pushed God away. All the torments of hell as the recorder in one's mind keeps playing over and over and over again. Replaying all of the opportunities that they had to escape such a place of torment. I submit to you that man's mind will absolutely haunt him in hell. The fourth thing that I find in this story or account found in verse 26 is the restriction. Abraham says to the rich man, he said, hey, besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Nor can those from there pass to you. Friend, hell has no exits. The door to hell has a dead boat lock. And only God has the key. Those who enter are never allowed to leave. But just just as hell has no exit door for the sinner, it also has no entry door for the saints. The rich man said to Abraham, send Lazarus here with a drop of water to cool my tongue. Abraham said to the rich man, he couldn't come to you even if he wanted to because God has absolutely made it impossible for him to do so. Think about this this morning. Think about this. In hell, the people in hell will be allowed to look over and see the people in heaven and see all that heaven entails. They will be able to see people rejoicing. They will be able to see people happy and dancing and thrilled beyond description. According to verse 23, and that's where I'm getting this, The rich man in hell could see Abraham and Lazarus. Only Lazarus is no longer the beggar in rags. No longer is he tormented with boils on his body. No longer does he have a swollen stomach from lack of nutrition. Everything Lazarus didn't have on earth, he now has in heaven. And the rich man can see all of it, but can have none of it. Because God has set his boundaries. He has set his restrictions. Ah, listen, friend, according to this passage, hell will have no part of heaven. And heaven will have no part of hell. The sinner cannot have contact with a saint. And the saint cannot have contact with a sinner. The title of my message today is Eternity Somewhere. 
In this story or this passage, Jesus gives us just a glimpse, just a little glimpse into eternity. Uh, uh, Listen, everyone who is born will one day die. Although the physical body dies, the soul and the spirit of man will live on for eternity in one of two places, either in heaven or in hell. Saints go to heaven, sinners go to hell. In heaven you are comforted. In hell you are tormented. In heaven you will, there will be celebration. In hell there will be weeping and wailing. In heaven a thousand years will seem but a moment. In hell a moment will seem like a thousand years. May I tell you that I have been consumed this week with the thoughts about eternity. The thought of eternity is absolutely mind-boggling to me. In all honesty, I have a hard time wrapping my, my mind around it. But I believe this book. The thought of eternity. Oh, how, how do you wrap your mind around eternity? And especially... We Americans, because for us, everything is about time, right? Everything is about time. Time is a huge part of our lives. You know, eight, ten hours a day at work, 12 years of school, Four years minimum of college. Work for 30, 40 years. Retire, age 65. One hour for lunch. 15 minutes for the break. Time, time. Everything is about time. What time does it start? What time is it over? How long will it take is our constant question. We can stand anything. We can endure anything as long as it has a time limit. The root canal will last how long, Doc? Okay, I'm ready. I can stand anything for 30 minutes. Right? We're consumed with time. Everything is about time. But in eternity, time will be no more. The 3.30 bell will never ring in eternity. The 5 o'clock whistle will never blow. Time, as we know it, will be no more. Can you get your mind around the concept of eternity? It lasts forever and forever and forever. There's no end to it, and yet most people live their entire lives with absolutely no thought of eternity. 
I just cannot fathom suffering in hell with absolutely no hope of it ever ending. On the other hand, I, I, I cannot stand the thought, and I'm telling you, friend, I cannot stand the thought of standing empty-handed before God in heaven and having nothing to be rewarded for. And because of that I will give, and because of that I will do, and because of that I will go, so that He will have something to reward me for, and so that I will have something to enjoy for eternity. Eternity is going to be a long time. The fifth thing, and lastly, I see in this story is the reasoning. The reasoning is found in verses 27 through 31. I'm going to read it again. The rich man in hell talking to Abraham in paradise. Verse 27, he said, I beg you, I beg you. I beg you, therefore, Father, oh, that you would send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses, they have the prophets, let them hear them. Oh, no, Father Abraham. But if one would go to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, even if someone comes back from the dead. There's one thing that this rich man is absolutely sure of. He doesn't want any of the people he loves to end up where he is. Send Lazarus back from the dead to warn my five brothers about how horrible hell is. Oh, have Lazarus tell them about all of the torments that I am being tortured with. Have him give them a message from me and the message from me is stay out of this place. I don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say. But perhaps... This rich man was the oldest of the six brothers. Older brothers have influence over younger brothers. No doubt the way this rich man had lived his life had impacted and influenced the way his five brothers were living their lives. No doubt the rich man was thinking, I have led my younger brothers down the wrong road and the road that I have led my five brothers down is the road that will lead them straight to hell where I am right now. Oh, please, please, Abraham, please send Lazarus back to earth. Warn my brothers. They will listen if somebody comes back from the dead.
Let me pause here and do a little teaching, meddling, whatever label you want to put on it. I don't care. Don't. Say don't. Don't share your doubts, your struggles, your questions, your criticism about God, about the Bible, about church, about the ministers. Don't share these with your family. Don't share these with your friends. Don't share them with other church members. It's okay to have doubts. We all have doubts. Pastor, you have doubts? I sure do. Yeah, I, 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 I struggle with doubt. Sure I do. I'm human. We all have our doubts. We all have our questions. And it's all right to have our questions. And it's even okay to disagree with the leadership of the church. It's okay. See, if you disagree with me, that just simply means that if you were in leadership, I would disagree with you. I mean, it's, this is what it means. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to read some stuff in this book and kind of raise your eyebrow. Huh? Really? Huh? Hmm? That really? Huh? Was he really that tall? Huh? Were there really that many people? Huh? It's okay. It's okay to struggle. Okay to have doubts. It's not okay to influence the people you love in a negative way. Because this is what usually happens. You work through your doubts. You do. You're still here, aren't you? You work through your doubts. You work through your, 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 your questions. You work through your criticisms. But when you influence somebody else, more often than not, they don't. And you have just put them on the wrong road. The rich man in hell was terrified with the fact that he knew that the way he lived his life had influenced his other five brothers as they lined up behind him and they were marching to the beat of his drum and the beat of his drum was going to take them to hell just like it took him. So you better be careful next time you want to just open your mouth flippantly because you just might be leading someone down the wrong road. You get over it. See, that happens in marriage all the time. You know, husband and wife have a fight. She runs home to mama, tells mama how bad a scum she married. Her mom knew that before she married him. He comes with flowers and candy and, oh, everything's wonderful. It ain't, it ain't wonderful for mama now. She didn't get to kiss and make up. Come on. 
You go all the way down the line with that type of thinking. No doubt the rich man remembered every negative word he spoke to his brothers. Every critical jab. Maybe he even made fun of Lazarus. I said, it's sitting there where that will work for food sign. He'd work as hard at a job as he does holding up that sign. <laughs> How do I know? Because I've said some of those things. And some of that is true. But it isn't always. No doubt he remembered every negative word he spoke to his brothers, every critical jab he took, every word of skepticism and ridicule. He regrets it now and desperately wants to correct it, but he's in hell and it's too late to do anything when you're in hell. The reasoning of the rich man is, if Lazarus returns from the dead, my brothers will listen to him. Abraham says to him, no, they won't. If they won't listen to Moses, if they will not listen to the prophets, if they won't believe what the word says and what the preachers preach, they will not listen even to someone that comes back from the dead. Very, very quickly this morning. Get the musicians and, uh, uh, musicians and singers back real quick. I'm going to wrap this up in the next couple of minutes. Very, very quickly, you and I need to learn from what Abraham just said here. First thing we need to learn is don't wait for some bolt of lightning from heaven to hit you before you uh, make your decision for Christ. Don't wait for some miraculous supernatural event before you decide to get saved. Second thing we need to learn here is it's the Word of God delivered by the man of God, empowered by the anointing of God that convicts man of sin and draws him to salvation. 1 Corinthians 1 and 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness. The world thinks what I've done this morning is absolutely foolish. And let me tell you that many in the modern day church today is calling it foolishness. Many in the church today will not preach this anymore. Don't make them uncomfortable. If I can make you uncomfortable for a few moments today and change your destiny for for eternity, I'll gladly make you feel uncomfortable this morning. I want to be relevant, even though it's hard for me to get there in some areas. I want to be relevant. I want to be up to date. I want all of that stuff. But I want to tell you something, that as long as I'm your pastor, and whenever, but as long as I'm your pastor, I will preach the Word of God. Amen. And we'll preach it. Amen? Amen. Because it's the Word of God. It, it, not because of some arrogance on my part. The message of the cross is foolishness to them who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Verse 21, it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. This is why we preach. It's God's method of drawing sinners to salvation. This is why we need to bring our unsaved friends and family members to church. This is why you need to get your kids to kids' church every Sunday morning and kids' camp every summer. This is why you need to bring your teenagers to, to youth service every Wednesday night and youth camp every year so that the message that is being preached, because it's the message being preached that is the power of God unto salvation. It's not our technique. 
power of the anointed preaching of the word. I didn't say that. You're just saying it because you're the preacher. No. I'm saying it because it's what this book says. One last thing we need to learn from Abraham. Don't ignore the preaching of God's word. Do not ignore the message today. Today is your opportunity to be saved. I'm not saying this to be dramatic this morning. I'm telling you because I feel urged in my spirit. I'm not saying it is, but I'm telling you it could be your last. You will be given an opportunity to be saved today. It could be your last. I'm not saying it is, but it could be. The rich man in our story was faring sumptuously every single day. Oh, life was good. He had it all and more than he needed. And then one day, out of nowhere, without warning, suddenly he died. And immediately after death, He opened his eyes in hell. Don't let that happen to you. My subject today has been eternity somewhere. The question is, where will you spend eternity? Will you spend eternity in God's paradise? Or will you spend eternity in the torments of Satan's hell. Can we all stand, please? Please, no one leaving. No one looking about. Please. I will not hold you long, but please do not break the atmosphere this morning. God wants to do something today. Father, I know in my heart because I know I know how you spoke to me and I know how you led me to this passage and I know what you put in my heart for today. And I know you wouldn't put this in my heart today if there were not people in this room, yes, in the second service, but as well in this service who desperately need this message. Some need the message because because they're not saved and they need to get saved today. But others need this message because they're consuming all their resources on their three favorite people, I, me, and mine. And they need to make a change this morning. Oh, they're going to heaven. but they're going empty-handed. They're going to heaven, but they'll have little, if anything, to be rewarded for. Today is the day to change that. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I'm just going to take a couple of moments this morning, but I believe with all of my heart today, in my spirit, not in my mind, not as I scan the audience and I say, well, this one could or that one, no. I'm talking about what's in my spirit, what's in my heart today. 
maybe people I wouldn't even think it would be. But I believe with all my heart this morning there are some people here today. You're going to spend eternity somewhere and unless you make a change today, that somewhere for you could be hell. Today you have an opportunity to make that somewhere heaven. If you're here this morning and you're not 100%, 100% sure if you were to die, that you'd spend eternity in heaven, if you're not 100% sure of that, and you want the assurance of salvation and your eternity in heaven, if that is you and I've described you, I want you to lift your hand up real high in this congregation. God bless you, sir. You can put your hand down now. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. You can put your hand down now. God bless you. You can put your hand down now. You can put your hand down now. How many others this morning? That's five, I believe. How many others this morning? Real quickly. I'm not going to beg. not going to plead. The Holy Spirit has done His work this morning. He's doing His work now. Real quickly. How many others this morning? Anyone else? You want to join those five that lifted their hands? Real quickly. Up with your hand. All right, I think there was five that lifted their hand. I want you to come and stand in the front this morning. Come. And I'm going to get somebody to help pray with you this morning and make sure you're ready. Thank you. God bless you and you. Come on, there's three others, I believe. A couple of ladies. Come on, thank you. Another lady, I believe, in the back somewhere. Another gentleman, I believe. Come on. Maybe you didn't lift your hand, but you need to come. Come on. Come on down. Bring somebody with you if you need to. Yeah, thank you. That's one, two, three, four. I may have miscounted, but I believe there's one more gentleman. I believe there is one more. I'm not sure. I believe there's one more. Anyone else this morning? One more. One more. Is there anyone else? All right, I need, I need some good, solid uh, people to come and, and, and pray with these this morning, men with men and women with women this morning. Real quickly, move to them. Don't just lay your hand on them. Pray for them. I want you to talk them through salvation. Talk them through Salvation. Even though maybe you say, well, they know. Well, maybe they don't. And I want you to help them, and I want you to lead them. Lead them in the sinner's prayer today. Lead them in the sinner's prayer. All right, I, I don't think we're through this morning. I believe with all of my heart. And, and listen, listen, I, I, all I can do is just do what's on my heart. And I, I don't want to become redundant. My wife told me, and I'll be in trouble for this, but my wife told me last night as I texted somebody, told them I missed them, said, you know, look here on these texts. You've texted this person five times and this person hasn't come and this person hasn't responded. And Maybe, maybe you need to stop bugging them. I said, I'd rather bug them and let them know that I missed them and I knew they weren't there and I want them here. I'd rather them be mad at me for bugging them than upset because pastor don't even care. And I'd rather be redundant this morning. I'd rather get criticized. Well, he's always talking about that. He's always saying that. I'd rather, I'd rather suffer that if it'll get some people to actually listen and hear and heed and do something about it. What I'm talking about is, is that there are people in this room this morning that when you, you're going to heaven, no doubt you're going to heaven because you love Jesus. You, you, you believe He died on the cross. You, you believe he, he, he did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. You, you, you prayed the sinner's prayer. You, you're, you're, you, you love Jesus. You, you, you love the Lord. But, 
that you're consuming everything upon yourself and upon your family and upon your friends and your life. You're going to have nothing. You're going to have nothing or little when you stand before God on judgment day for Him to reward you with. And as much as I want you to be in heaven to escape hell, I also want my people, when they get to heaven, I want them to be rewarded. I don't want them to be rich in the world and poor in heaven. And so I will be redundant and I will keep hammering it and I will tell you over and over. I will continue to encourage you to give and encourage you to do and encourage you to go. So that when you stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, you will not only be in heaven, but you will be rewarded beyond your wildest dreams. This is a harder altar call, maybe. Because once we're saints, we don't like to answer altar calls. But if you're here this morning, you know, you're not saying I won't have anything to be rewarded for, but you're saying, man, I want to be rewarded in heaven. I want, to, I want to have great reward in heaven and so because of that I'm going to do, I'm going to give and I'm going to go. If that's you this morning, that is your heart's desire. I want you to come this morning. I'm opening the altar for everyone now. I want to be greatly rewarded in heaven and so I'm going to give, I'm going to go and I'm going to do.
the darkness and into the light, lifting our sorrows, bearing our burdens, healing our hearts. To our God we lift up one voice, to our God we lift up one song, to our God we lift up one voice. Singing hallelujah to our God, we lift up one voice. To our God, we lift up one song. To our God, we lift up one voice. Singing hallelujah. I feel compelled to do something this morning. Continue to pray, continue to minister to those that you're ministering to. Maybe you're in your seat this morning and maybe you know you just felt uncomfortable to raise your hand. You sure felt uncomfortable to walk out in the front. I don't want to do anything to stand between somebody getting right with God because they don't do it my way. Well, they should have lifted their hand. Well, they should have come to the altar. Well, they, no. I don't want anything. Style, tradition, which that's what this is. That's what every head bowed and every eye closed and hands up and come to, that's all tradition. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm saying it's tradition. Hadn't always been that way. You don't get saved because you do what the preacher said. You raised your hand or you come to the front or you pray that you, you, you get saved because a heart change. And a heart change can happen right back there in the seats with you. And so maybe you just were timid or whatever. I don't know. I just know this is just that important. And so I want every head bowed and I want every eye closed. And if you're in your seat or standing said, man, I kind of wish I'd have gone down there. Or, or maybe you're just, you know, you're trying to find your own way or whatever in your seat. Or you're just struggling. I, I want to help you. I want to make it easier for you and help you this morning. So this morning, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe that He died on the cross for your sin, if you believe that He did for you what you could not do for yourself, If you want to trust what Jesus did for you for your salvation, whether you lifted your hand, whether you walked to the front or not, you're still standing in the back, that's fine. I want you to pray this prayer with me this morning. I want you to pray it from your heart and not just from your lips. If you'll pray this prayer in faith and believe what you pray, the Lord will save you. And you can leave here this morning with an assurance of your salvation. So everybody pray this prayer with me. Pray it from your heart, not just from your lips. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. But your word says I don't have to. Your word says you did for me through Christ what I couldn't do myself. I confess my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. 
I trust what Jesus did for me on the cross for my salvation. Save me today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer from your heart and meant it with all of your heart, the Lord heard you and He saved you this morning. Can you give the Lord a shout of praise in His house today? Well, guys, we are dismissed this morning. If you're a guest with us, don't forget to turn in your connection card at our Welcome Center. You guys have a wonderful afternoon, and God bless you.